hello, everyone, and welcome back to your MPSA podcast. And welcome to today's team. We have Tanya Stone, president of MPSA and the vice president of strategic technology at Great America. Uh, myself, I'm Lori McClovish. Aldo Spensieri, Senior Vice President, Access Professional Services at Cloud Services Group. Bill McVicker, Technical Support Manager at American Printware Incorporated. And Ed Mosteller, CEO, Perform IT US. And Edwin, I can't say your last name, Edwin, <laughs> MPSA expert in Europe. Um, and I know that we have a couple of special guests. We have uh, Bud. Uh, Karaki, he's the VP of Sales and Marketing at BEI Services, and uh, and we also have West, uh, who is the new VP of uh, Business Development at Tigerpaw. Uh, before we do a formal introduction of those two gentlemen, a little bit about MPSA um, as an international independent industry body of MPSA. We provide education, research, and best practices to help organizations actively manage and optimize their document output devices and related business processes. And to make sure we're uh, up to date on what's going on in the industry to share insights and ex expertise with you, and that's why we have two special guests today, um, the Education Committee has decided to bring hot topics to you via podcast, easy to consume wherever you are and picking up on hot topics. Today we want to take a closer look at billing models what models are out there, what to consider when selecting a business model or billing model, and more. So let's dive in and share what the today's special guests have to say. So first of all, uh, welcome, Bud Crocky. Is that how you say your last name, Bud? It's Karaki. Karaki. There you yeah. go. So now everybody knows. For those well, of you that don't know, uh, in a few words, who are you? Hi, Laura. Thanks for the intro. Uh, it's a pleasure to be part of this podcast. Uh, my name is Bud Carricky. I'm the VP of Sales and Marketing for BEI Services. Uh, I've been in this industry since 1992 as a provider of software solutions to increase service performance of dealerships throughout North America. I was with the ADS, MWA, and now uh, um, BEI. Uh, I've been with BEI now for 10 years. Uh, for those of you who don't know who BEI services are, is, as we process about a million service calls every month from hundreds of dealers and manufacturers. We homogenize that data and we create the world's largest service statistics database and benchmark database on printers and copiers. Thank you, Bud. And over to Wes McDonald. And in a few words, Wes, who are you? Well, uh, we worked together for a while, which was an awesome pleasure, but uh, Certainly in my new role, my name is Wes McDonald, and I would say that I'm a bit of a convergence enthusiast. And what I mean by that is I like to help businesses, you know, both in the office equipment space uh, and also in the managed IT space and VoIP space uh, to find new models to dive into, you know, flat rate billing models uh, for all of the services, right? Um, I am technically, I guess, the VP of business development at Tigerpaw Software as well as the integration lead. So I'll be working on you know, all of the uh, integrations, both for the office equipment world, as well as the managed IT and other you know, verticals, right? I've been in the you know, office equipment space now for about 15 years and excited to you know, really bridge the divide into uh, some of the other converged spaces. Well, thank you, Wes. And uh, I failed to do an uh, intro, a preliminary intro at the beginning of Mitchell Philby. Uh, Mitchell, who will be challenging our guest today. Uh, in a few words, Mitchell, who are you? Thanks, Laurie. Thanks for having me on the podcast today. And I look forward to contributing to the session. Uh, look, as a quick bio, I've been in the office printing and document imaging managed print service industry for about 30 years. So some would say and see me as a veteran in the industry. Um, I'm a published author, active journalist, business analyst, and industry advisor. And my focus around innovation strategies for the industry. So I think I'm well positioned to comment and discuss on a wide ranging issues and aspects of both the current and changing dynamics of the industry. I'm based out of Sydney, I'm CEO of a company called First Rock Consulting, and we're an advisory firm where our core competencies are around about um, strategy development, commercializing innovation and technology and application development. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for that, Mitchell. And I think what we're going to do is just dive right in and get started. Um, Mitchell, if you want to begin um, asking uh, Bud and Wes the first questions, that would be great if you want to set great. the stage. 
Thanks, Laura. Appreciate it. Hi, Bud. Hi, Wes. Great to have you back on the call today. Um, look, before I ask my question, uh, allow me to preface the following for our listeners today who are, uh, who are listening in. As, a, as an industry, we've seen the office printing and the NPS industry environment continually evolve. To the credit of the industry, we've constantly adapted. And, and that's, just, uh, that's been great because we continue to ensure that there's relevance um, and that our ecosystem has remained relevant and valuable to our customers, which obviously we, we ultimately serve. With this said, we've seen across many years, many changes such as a cost per copy and a page per print programs. And we've seen these variable contracts that include mixed and variable minimum volumes with color and black and white splits, fixed contract terms, reducing contract terms that enable clients to upgrade or change over the technology when appropriate. And yes, there's probably many more versions and, and approaches that operate in the marketplace. However, today we're seeing many print, print providers adapting to a more agile approach in terms of how consumers and customers want to acquire, use or manage technology as part of their business. We're seeing an increasing focus around how end customers want to manage usage in terms of consumption, paying for what they use, no more or no less. So therefore, to support this level of flexibility, print providers will have to have programs and capabilities that support both the system flexibility, but also the reporting mechanisms to manage the customer's requirements. And overlaying this, we are seeing end customers enabling and aligning to programs that support an IT services led or as a service acquisition and subscription model capability. So based on where we're at today and the current as a service platforms that are being put in place, if you both had three minute elevator ride, how would you both respond to what you are both seeing as the biggest challenge and opportunities for both existing and all new providers who deliver NPS to their customers? Bud, wow. the rest you can go first. <laughs> yeah, that's certainly a tough question to answer in three minutes, but, uh... I think I can throw it out there that, you know, the, really the biggest challenge that uh, our channel faces right now is simple. It's status quo, right? So a lot of dealers, quite honestly, are setting themselves up uh, to sell to uh, one of these new mega dealers. And, and they don't really want or need to do anything differently to accomplish that because you're just trying to clean up your books, uh, trying to make sure they're being efficient uh, and effective. Now, that being said, there's another, you know, breed of dealers and, you know, for them, they're so heavy with uh, the old delivery models that it's hard to turn the ship around, even if they know that they should. Uh, there's a third bucket, you know, that I look to and, and really the biggest opportunities for those dealers to look into grow and not sell to somebody if you're trying to grow organically and even through acquisition, but to grow your own business is that uh, you have to get away from the traditional cost per page. I've been speaking about this for years and uh, we're starting to see that happen now in the marketplace where everything is a service. I don't care if it's uh, pages or um, paper clips or staples or anything else that there's a way to, you know, actually do those things as service. So that could be um, as a device or a seat based delivery model. Usually it's a combination of both. No matter what you call it, you have to understand what the device metrics are and what the user metrics are. Um, but you got to start thinking about other services like managed IT, uh, voice over IP, document management, security, and even two-way radio, right? That the days of being a pure play uh, managed print provider, I think, are, uh, are behind us. And I'll, you know, I'll, as for challenges, I'll echo West's comments as it relates to the status quo, but add this. Uh, many dealers we speak to seem, seem to think that if they provide a unlimited or a cost per month page that, that customers are going to be uh, printing them out of, you know, uncontrollably out of business and, that, and the dealers will lose a, a lot of money. Our studies show that decreasing averages of 6% across the, the segment bases year over year for since 2012. Uh, I believe that 98% that of end users, end user printing have no idea of what they're being charged and I don't think they care. I believe the early adopters have a huge opportunity uh, going to a seat-based billing or a non-meter billing method. Uh, their customers hate meter, meter billings uh, and are willing to pay more for monthly budgeted invoice. Um, additionally, if you tie a monthly uh, fixed print fee, as West had mentioned, uh, it's very difficult for your competitors to compete with a print-only uh, model, making your dealership that much more sticky. Uh, anything that gets tied to the network, if you own the network, uh, you have control of that company. And so that just makes you much more sticky. 
Um, this is Ed Mosteller. I just have a couple follow-up questions. I think those are some good, uh, good scenarios there. Um, but as we look to adoption, I think a lot of the dealers probably see a lot of risk in these new pricing plans. Um, if either one of you could elaborate on what a dealer would see as the risks and maybe what the risks are to the end user. Yeah, I, I, I would think the biggest risk to the vendor is really not understanding your cost by user as well as service delivery. So understanding costs uh, for users can be accomplished pretty simply with a variety of user management tools that are out there. And one thing I've been really impressed with uh, lately is Bud's team and how they've come up with this amazing tool for understanding service delivery costs. And, th and that really is the big one, right, when it comes to human capital. So if you combine both what you're doing with the user management tools with the uh, service delivery costs, then I don't think there's any risk at all. It's just data. Um, you know, some people will print like an open bar, yes, but realistically, uh, they already are. So, you know, people aren't just printing the way they used to actually, you know, Bud talks to a 6% decrease every year. Uh, I think those that are more conservative in the industry talk to 3% uh, decrease every year. And I think they're kidding themselves. I think Bud's number is actually right. So, you know, the risk of overprinting is really not there. We saw similar uh, worries when we moved to cost per page on coverage. If everyone remembers that, like people are worried about people printing full bleed coverage in color. And in 15 years, that's, that's just never happened, right? So um, I can't really speak to the risk for the client as I don't, I don't see any. I mean, all they get is a predictable predictable bill every month. They're not counting the meters like we ask them to do every month, typically in cost per page or validating complicated invoices, right? So for the customer, I think it's very easy. I think the value proposition is it's a predictable bill. Uh, they know that uh, through workflow savings that they're actually going to be spending less than they are today under a regular cost per page program. I don't think I could answer uh, any better than, than Wes just did. Uh, that's a great answer about risk for both customer and client. Uh, and also I'd like to thank him for the nice plug in our tool. So thanks, Wes. It's an amazing tool. So <laughs> thank you at all. What you guys have done is, uh, you know, you filled a hole in the marketplace that is just awesome. The first time I saw it, I was blown away and I still am. Well, thank yeah, you. Well, re regarding, um, uh, mitigating those risks, you talk about different tools. Are there anything, other things that dealers need to do up front to mitigate those risks and make sure that they're not overexposed? I think truly understanding your cost, as Wes said before, and, and what products should be in place in the different volume bands is very important. Um, you know, today we see nearly 50% of all the devices in our database, which is about 4 million devices, produce less than 1,400 pages per month on average. And some of those devices are made to produce thousands and thousands of pages per month, uh, you know, segment four, segment five type of devices, uh, and they're very expensive to run in those low volumes, uh, you know, under 1,400 pages at 50% is, a, is just not much. Um, so understanding what machine placements you put in the right volume bands is, is really critical to understand that because each machine has a sweet spot that it runs best in and knowing where those spots are is the best placement for, for that cost reduction. Uh, it will decrease service costs and increase profitability uh, and customer satisfaction. So it becomes a win-win just doing that. Yeah, and I'll add to that, that, you know, there can never be too much said for a good solid assessment, right? Like one of the things that we've suffered from in our industry is uh, not doing a thorough enough an analysis of what uh, customers are actually looking for. Second to that is uh, good contract clauses. We've had them. Um, we covered this in the SBB roadshows that I did when I was at Printout over the last couple of years. And if we understand user print behavior, if we understand the applications that they're printing to, if we understand the, you know, the cost to what they're doing for service and the willingness of a customer to uh, stop counting meters, then I think we've got a, we got a home run. Great. Yeah. You, you know, West, I'm a, I'm a big believer in those assessments as well. Um, just, just real quick. Is there an issue if the, uh, in these new pricing models, if there's a reduction in pages or if the client downsizes in any regards? 
Well, reduction of print is actually a good thing if you think about it. If I can put a device in at a fixed price and they are printing less to that device, I increase my margin. So that's a good thing. Um, historically, print contracts had minimums anyway. So it's really not a new thing to the end user. You know, they had a minimum of 5,000 pages, even though they did 4,000 pages. And so they paid those minimums. So I don't think that's a big challenge uh, in this new model. Great. And, and finally, I know we, we uh, talk a lot about convergence now. I know, Wes, that's your uh, focus point. With these new pricing models, can that concept be effectively bundled with other technology services? Oh, can I say uh, OMG? Absolutely. <laughs> really. I mean, you know, the beauty of moving into a seat model, uh, whether it's, and I think, again, I'll say that it's a combination of devices and users is the ability to layer those seats with additional dollars. Like, why wouldn't we, right? In uh, the managed IT world, uh, as a seat, you know, it's typically done by a user, so it's my preferred fixed fee model, but it can also be done on a device level as well. Uh, the, the only problem I would think uh, that I see from doing it strictly by a device level is it doesn't follow the standard that already exists in the managed IT world. So they've been doing it by seat for, you know, forever. They've gone through similar pains and that's kind of what they settled on. Uh, they were, you know, first, so I prefer to work with a model that the customer, you know, already appreciates. And, and the revenue opportunities by layering that seat with new services, um, you know, typically right now in the managed print world, we make, you know, arguably 14 to $27 a seat. In the managed IT world, they're making anywhere from 90 to 125. So, you know, it's really important to actually layer those things. I would also like to comment that, you know, managed service providers, typical managed service providers hate print. And that's kind of why print is still in existence at a individual copier dealership or printer dealership. So it's been kind of abandoned by the uh, managed service providers. So if you bring this into the existing seat, as Wes called it, or whatever the managed uh, bundled service you provide, um, there's an opportunity for a lot more margins. Anytime you can bundle a lot of pieces together, there's mystery, and where there's mysteries, there's margin. So uh, I would bundle as often as you can um, and hopefully lock out your competition. Great, thanks. Great, well, I have a question. This is Lori. What are the risks if vendors don't implement some sort of new pricing program? Uh, well, those risks are pretty large. I don't know if anyone's been paying attention to the news lately, but you know, everything we've been talking about with going to a flat rate or a seat or a device-based model, uh, Marco has recently done that. And I know, uh, Bud, they're using the IDAS tool to help facilitate that, right? So bottom line, uh, if you don't move this way, you're going to get left behind, period. It's the same thing that happened, you know, when we were just selling cartridges and moved into a uh, per page model for, you know, printers like 15 years ago. So they'll get left behind. Um, if not left behind entirely, then they're going to spend a lot of time and money and effort trying to catch up. And who wants to do that? Yeah, the world's changing. Buying habits are changing. We all know that. You're, you know, anyone on this podcast right now is probably buying in different ways than they did. A lot more stuff online, a lot more stuff through subscription. So the seat's only a start. You, know, you need to offer managed, managed IT and other managed technology services, such as uh, voice over IP, et cetera, security. Uh, this is a new world we're in and customers are demanding it. Yeah, and I, and I think it really kind of goes beyond a, a pricing question. I think vendors who don't move in this managed services will be left behind much sooner than later. Um, you know, when you control or own the customer's network, you should provide all the services and you can hang on to that network. And that includes printing devices as well, document management, voice over IP phones, PCs, et cetera. So, you know, it'll keep your company relevant in these changing times and ensure that you're, you're, you're going to trudge through, the, through these changing times uh, being successful. Great. Well, thank you. And considering that and, you know, the industry is changing and these pricing models are being embraced, which pricing model seems to get the most pushback and why? Well, I think I'll start with that answer. And it's uh, obviously the seat model gets the most pushback. No question. Uh, the device-based model is more akin to what they're used to selling because reps get paid on uh, equipment and the OEMs have quotas and, you know, special marketing funds uh, contributing to that, right? But I really don't think that focusing on the box is going to help them in the long term just because just it's closer to what they know. If you're going to innovate, 
you got to layer items of many types. And, uh, and I'd suggest that doing what the rest of the industry is doing, uh, such as managed IT and VoIP and others, right? OEMs love device-based billing because they love selling devices. There's no magic uh, you know, to that question. But at the end of the day, um, both will work. It's just, I think, if you do it by the seat, like they do in the managed IT space today, because they're already doing it, it'll mean you won't have to change your billing model once again as you start selling other things like managed IT, VoIP, and security. Yeah, I believe I believe this this sales rep adoption is probably the biggest hurdle in our industry, uh, and the largest reason that this hasn't really had more traction. Uh, salespeople sell boxes. The bigger the box, the more commissions they make. Uh, this industry has been overselling our customer needs for years. Uh, the proof is in the data we see every day. You know, as I mentioned, forty nine percent of of the print is less than fourteen hundred pages per month on a device level. So I think it's time to right size our customers with a device that can easily handle their needs. Uh, they don't have to be these big boxes and they actually will bring in much, much more profit to those dealerships. Uh, I think the sales model comp needs to be changed to a managed pages profitability plan. The sales rep gets compensated for profitable pages. So obviously if they're, if it's the profit or a net profit, they're going to get a piece of that. They're going to sell the box that's going to make them the most money. And I think that will kind of help right size the industry instead of putting segment five or six type of, large boxes in uh, a location that segment two can handle very easily. Yeah. And I would add to that, that, you know, as you said, most reps are paid selling on the boxes and yeah, very few are paid on uh, pages or other, you know, sort of metrics that compensation is always the main driver for the sales reps. So if they know what they're going to make, where they can make lots of money, well, it's clear they're going to do that. Right. So in this new model, you know, they need to, to be made aware of how they'll do that. Another piece you touched on was uh, manufacturers, and um, you know I think they're the second largest reason. But you don't even want me to start on that soapbox, so uh, we'll we'll leave it at that. Okay, so I think you answered part of the second question. But what is your prediction? I would love to hear it from both of you. But what is your prediction of what the future state pricing is going to look like? Well, I think the future pricing model today's here. Um, it's our IDAS tool. Uh, about, this is funny because Wes mentions about three years ago, I attended the first seat-based billing class given by Wes and Aldo and, Ta and Tanya. And when I left that, cl that class, I, I felt something was missing. And for that reason, BEI Services spent the last few years studying and developing a pricing tool to help resolve this missing piece. Uh, and it all stems around the dealer's actual cost per volume band and the models that those, those that they're placed in those bands. Um, the other piece that really helps is with our WorldStats database, we're able to bring confidence into a quoted number. So it's not just what that dealer is looking at, it's actually a number that, a combined world number that says it's pretty close or distance. So it's quick, it's accurate tool to get the prices you should charge per device per month uh, and what volume bands uh, with all the cost and your margins built in. Yeah, I would agree with uh, Bud. I think he's bang on on that. And when we uh, did the seat-based billing roadshows, I think we had nine out of 10. Like we were pioneering. I felt really good about what we were doing. But when I first saw the IDAS tool, I said, oh my God, Bud, that's the missing piece. There should now, honestly, for dealers, there should now be nothing standing in the way of, you know, folks delivering this kind of model. It was the missing link. And uh, I think we got a complete piece of the puzzle now. Well, that's really a great information. And with dealers changing to these models, obviously contract terms may or may not change. Um, I'm aware of a dealer in Washington, Washington State that's been signing 10-year MPS contracts with their clients for the last few years. How do you guys see contract terms being affected with the new pricing models? Yeah, I'm going to answer this one twice. Like 10 years, if the agreement is right, doesn't seem that long to me. But you know, the other part is that the world's moving to month to month and you really have to prove, you know, your value to customers to keep those, you know, contracts going in that sense, right? I don't think in the office equipment space that a month to month contract makes sense. I think longer term contracts, you know, really make sense. And with the right kind of contract language, I don't think uh, five to 10 years is, uh, you know, is something that's not unattainable. I, I think there's two pieces of this puzzle. Um, 
first, you know, obviously anytime you can lock in a 10-year contract for any MPS deal, that's a great deal. Um, I think this pricing model is great in long-term on a month-to-month -month agreement. Uh, but in typical MPS agreements, acquiring dealerships ends up taking a lot of the uh, different devices in on the MPS agreement. And many of them they have no experience on and do poorly servicing them. Uh, with a long-term agreement, that allows these dealerships to actually replace those devices with devices that they support and, and know well and get a much you know, an ROI over time by replacing those. So I think it's good for both parties, these long-term agreements. So this is Tanya, and there's not a lot I like to talk about more than billing. Um, and some might think I'm joking. I'm actually super serious about this. Um, one of the things you guys talked about earlier was the ability to layer services. So if I were a dealer and I were looking for some options to layer on uh, other services on top of uh, print, what, what would you suggest that I would look at? Yeah, I guess I'll jump in there first. And, um, you know, one thing I can say, you know, people call me the uh, godfather of seat-based billing for managed print and, and other things. And the truth is that couldn't be further from the truth, right? I, I completely stole that idea from attending events at a CompTIA event, learning about managed IT, learning about voice over IP and how they were doing it. And all I did was, you know, I figured out that this could also be applied to the managed print space, that they, like us, have consumables, right? So if you think of uh, somebody who's doing voice over IP, they have to pay for bandwidth and other things, which are all measured and metered, right? They don't get any fixed costs on that, which isn't really much different than, than toner. So I, I stole that idea and applied it to the managed print space. But you know, ideally, if we do this right, if we start to look at how we do seat pricing and use the right tools, like what, you know, Bud's offering with IDAS and everything else, that we can bundle, you know, voice over IP, managed IT, security, I mean, two-way radio, document management, all of it in this single layer of pricing. And as we all know, uh, where there's mystery, there's margins. So the deeper that bundle gets, you know, the better it gets for, you know, for us and, and also, frankly, for our customers. Well, from everything that Wes just mentioned, you know, anything touching their network, you want to get a hold of. But, I mean, you can go to water, coffee, snacks. And it's really limitless to some extent as a, on, a, on a per seat basis. So if I'm a, a dealer and I've got my systems in place and they've been handling a more traditional type of billing model, um, how how are my current systems set up to support kind of the new models uh, and the new pricing plans that you guys are talking about? Yeah, and you know, the honest truth is they're not. Um, we're, we're kind of exiting an era where we had very purpose-built systems for a lot of things. So if you were a managed print provider or a copier dealer, you had an ERP uh, that was built for specifically for doing managed print because that was kind of our gig, right? Um, we didn't kind of work into these other areas. So the systems are not built for that. And where I moved is, wasn't by accident. Um, I've moved over to uh, Tigerpaw because it handles both uh, the managed print side and also these new areas of managed IT, uh, voice, or, uh, voice over IP, et cetera, right? That the systems that are built from the ground up to support seat and device-based billing which exists is not just the company I work for now. There are others um, that that's really the way of the future because they're going to track service time. They're going to track uh, human hours, much like I know Bud Nidas does, you know, better than we've ever done before. Because at the end of the day, in this new world of you know uh, predictable flat rate billing of device or seat, you know, uh, tracking and controlling those costs is going to be critical. Let me take this as a kind of a two-sided question uh, for both quoting and invoicing. So for quoting, most dealers have got some homegrown plethora of spreadsheets that they use with data collected from a bunch of different sources to create some non-metered quote for the customers. And it takes massive amounts of times and, and the accuracy, I don't know how true it is. So that's, that's one piece. Uh, for invoicing, this, you know, this price per month seat is very easy to invoice. Uh, you don't need a complicated ERP system to handle it. Even QuickBooks could do something like that because it's a simple monthly fee. And you're just going to post a, you know, if it's seat-based for print for, you know, 100 bucks a month, PC for, you know, $25 a month, um, you know, 
IP phone for $10 a month, that can be all stand up, but there's no massive calculations and overages and everything else that you have to buy it into. Yeah, no, I would just add to that. Simplicity, simplicity really, when we're delivering to the customer is key. What, what I would add, though, is that the, uh, you know, the ERP or the business management system uh, really has to be built for tracking the costs and the service times and everything else. So even though the, what the customer sees is very simple, what we do behind the scenes still has to be automated to make sure we're making money. Oh, absolutely. I agree with that. And Wes, I think it was you that was talking about the, the compensation. You know, you have to compensate for the behavior that you want. How do you recommend that the comp plans change to support the new pricing models? Yeah, this is something that I've really chewed on for a number of years, and we covered these in the past road shows that I helped put together. But essentially, there's, there's two ways, right? And I, I don't think either one is the right or wrong answer, but one is uh, to make a residual model, which we pay sales reps, on a monthly basis, uh, provided that new business quotas are hit. So let's just say, for example, that we've got a, a contract that we have under place for $1,000 a month. Uh, the rep's going to get 10% of that every month, uh, provided that their new equipment quota or whatever their quota is, is hit. And if they don't hit that quota, then they don't get that residual income for that quarter. So that, that's one way to do it. Uh, the other is a one-time payout based on contract terms. So maybe they just get paid, you know, 10% on the first year. But uh, any way you shake it, though, that money has to be very evident to the rep how they're making that money and how it's better than the old way that they did it first. So some pushback that, that I have heard in the past of this predictable spend, which is obviously a very good thing, is that there may be sometimes that the customer is overpaying. How do you recommend that dealers address this with their customers? Oh my God, I always love this argument because the truth is today, every single customer under a traditional managed print agreement is, is paying too much already, right? So we don't, we don't track what they're printing in color for email and web print or offer them any alternatives. Um, if a customer is only duplexing you know, 5%, uh, they don't break it down by application or help them to figure out how they can actually increase that. Um, they might have way too much A3 technology uh, in the environment when they're doing, you know, 95% A4 uh, print, right? So, so trust me, the customers today are paying too much already. They're not, they're not looking at workflow. They're simply looking at cost per page, and that's really the wrong way to look at it. Um, paying too much from a customer perspective uh, because it is the norm, we need to help them do it in a better way. Under a fly rate model, um, everything that we look at as revenue today is actually a cost. So if a customer is, is printing too much color and I'm only charging them $24 a user a month, that's now a cost. That's not a revenue you know, item for me, right? So we can put certain rules in place as long as we have the data to understand how they're printing, how their workflow is working, and uh, they'll, they'll pay less out of the gate. Right, so under a seat program, they should be paying less than they are today. Um, you know, but I'll go one step further, which is to say that the seat price uh, should not just be for print, um, that it becomes for a bunch of other things that they're doing, if it's managed IT or VoIP, you know, et cetera, so that once it's all folded together, they should be spending far less than they are today. I would say that, you know, any program that the dealer puts in, uh, the dealer puts together should be a right fit for the customer. And if the sales compensation model changes, the customer should be paying less anyway, because they're not paying for those huge boxes that I talked about before. So that would make them happy. Uh, we would suggest just putting a plan together that the customer on a monthly seat based billing fee, and then work on adding some print management rules later, reducing that print cost even more. And again, improving your margin. So put the boxes in, do managed uh, printing rules, uh, and increase your margins. But uh, I think overall, the customer's cost is gonna be less. And, but I think you were talking about the assessment process uh, a little bit earlier in the podcast. Can you talk a little bit more about how this is different um, than an assessment, um, or maybe it's not different, just, just maybe how, how it varies? Well, I think the assessments are actually more critical in this new model and they need to be done a lot more accurately. Uh, in the previous model, you could get paid for pages that were printed on overages, where in this model, you really don't have that. You're fixing, uh, you're quoting a fixed cost. So those assessments need to be uh, understood. 
uh, and those volumes need to be understood as well. Um, so you do have some protections uh, in the agreements that West mentioned earlier, but the last thing you really want to do is go back to a customer and ask for more money. Uh, so those assess the assessments are critical. Yeah, and I would agree with that, that you know, it's just data, right? So we need to understand user print behavior, as we talked about before, as well as the uh, cost of the service technician's times. And you know, the truth is the tools are, are there now to do that. I can remember when I first started management, people thought that customers wouldn't let them install a DCA, God forbid, right, to collect the uh, meters automatically and understand the toner levels. And that quickly disappeared. So the only difference now is in the assessment is that we need more data and that's all tools driven. So we don't have to do complicated, uh, you know, site walkthroughs. We don't have to tie up a lot of customer time. The tools are now available to get those additional uh, metrics for understanding how and why people are printing. Have you guys found in your experience that there's a particular dealer profile that has made this transition uh, to the new billing models more successfully than, than others? Well, yeah, no question. I think in the early days, and we're definitely in early days, is that dealers that have made the transition, like Marco, Net, and others, um, the, the ones that are doing managed IT successfully uh, that have some experience with how people are paying for those services um, in, you know, other uh, verticals other than managed print, uh, that they're transitioning much easier because they already have a seat model in place. It's not, it's not a foreign concept to them. If you're doing managed IT already, if you're doing VoIP, if you're doing security services, uh, you're already employing that model. So certainly uh, dealers that have bridged the gap, um, that have uh, already embraced convergence, those ones are way, you know, they're far ahead of the curve. All right, so I'm a dealer, I've listened to this, I'm excited to get going. Do I start with my existing customers or do I do this with just my new customers? What do you, what do you recommend? Well, I, I've always said, you know, like you've probably got a bucket of customers which aren't making you money today under your current management agreements. like. And there's a variety of reasons for that. Every time a contract comes up for renewal, uh, you've got to sharpen your pencil and, you know, reduce whatever your rates are, et cetera. Or maybe you made a, you know, a bad deal with a customer because you thought you'd secure them and it would get better over time and it just never did, right? So I, I think I would suggest that certainly current customers, uh, the ones that aren't making you money, why not practice on them? They're not making you money today <coughs> anyway. So why not... Uh, look to them for a seat-based model because you can actually regain margin on those customers. You can actually uh, start increasing profitability on those customers. And it's a practice stage. So once you get good at working with your existing customers, then you'll be much more prepared when you move into the market trying to do net new business. All right. So earlier you uh, talked uh, about dealers being, oh, sorry, but did you have something you want to say I about was, that? Yeah, I was muted. I apologize. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I would, I would agree with Wes, but I'd add this. Um, I would start an aggressive A4 attack on my competition. A4 can handle 85% of the placements needed today, typically, and has about a third the service requirements of A3 devices. So that allows you to get in there with a lot less cost and be a little more aggressive in price. Yeah, and Bud, I would agree with you there that uh, the opportunity for the A4 play right now, uh, because again, it's data, once customers have that data, I think it's going to be a huge influx of uh, new business for A4. So we talked about earlier um, dealers that, that don't think about doing this or, or, or progressing to this are going to get left behind. Have you found that, that dealers are offering these new pricing models are doing it defensively because their competition has either talked about it or started doing it? Or are they proactively kind of being those market leaders uh, doing it to provide additional value to their customers? Well, there are a lot of reasons uh, for the change. Uh, I mean, customers hate billing meters because they have to audit the program and no one likes to do that. Uh, the cost of meter acquisition is very expensive to the dealership. I mean, we see, we see dealers sending their technicians to go out there and collecting meters, which is ridiculous. Um, also, bad meters require re-invoicing for customers and the list goes on and on. So uh, that's just inside the dealership. On, on the outside dealership, uh, competition is playing a big factor uh, for the bundled services. And so um, that's a real reason to go in there to provide those additional uh, pieces and be proactively uh, pushing those services. 
I, this is Aldo. Along that uh, those same lines, you know, we talk about bundled services and monthly billing. Um, it it kind of lends to the discussion around recurring billing for the dealer. Um, can, can you explain why that recurring billing and that monthly fee or that subscription fee that they're going to get for the customer, how does that add value to their dealership? Well, um, I'll never work for a company again that doesn't do recurring uh, revenue models, right? And, you know, the simple question is you'd ask me why, because when you get out of bed in the morning and the bills are already paid, then you can do a lot more exciting things, both for your company and for your customers, right? And, you know, also for valuation of companies, if you're, I think every company should think of themselves as being in a position to be sold. But even if you're not, you know, thinking that way, when you're always looking at the valuation of your company based on recurring revenue, that if you were to sell, that your value is much higher than those that aren't doing it. Well, this model isn't really that much different than, than the other models that the dealers are using today as far as re, you know, reoccurring revenue. I mean, the old method is typically they had minimum pages and they were paid on a monthly basis. And, and obviously, you got the overages after that. Um, we're just moving to the hassle of the cost associated with acquiring the meters and do the invoicing. Um, so it's not that much of a different place in reoccurring revenue. It's just how it's gathered and, and how it's invoiced. Uh, this is Bill McVicker. Um, I, I tend to be the back end guy. Um, I, 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 I'm the guy who has to make it work and, and, and make sure it continues working. Um, and so, so, and, and maybe that led to some, some confusion here, but the, the, there, there has to be some pitfalls that can be happened post sales that, that, the dealers can run across and, and, and how, how do you deal with those? Yeah, I, I think to avoid the pitfalls, you first have to start with the right information, right? And I worked with Ed Mosteller for a lot of years uh, on the assessment side before we even had user management, helping customers to make better decisions based on data, right? So you need the right information. Uh, we've detailed that above, so I won't you know talk through that again, but the assessment process has to change and assessment selling works. If you have data, you're gonna make better sales and better margins. Uh, I would think that the only reason a dealer would lose money is because they didn't have the right information up front to quote it correctly. There's not much more I could add to that. Really, it's the data uh, and understanding truly your cost uh, is probably the most important piece of the puzzle here. Um, and you got to make sure you have your workflow processes in place to collect that data and collect it accurately. So that's important as well. Um, you should be able to know profitability of each device in the field that you sell and service. I mean, down to the device level, is it profitable or not? If it's not, why and correct that, that problem. Okay. Thanks. Um, basically what you're saying is, is that if the data is correct going in, then it should at least, if nothing else, mitigate those, those, those losses if there happen to be any later on, for example, they decide to print, you know, tens of thousands of marketing brochures in a month. So, well, yeah. no, for, no, for sure. And, and, and we, we kind of talked about this one already, but I'll dive a bit deeper, which is that through the assessment, uh, as long as we're using the right tools to track those costs, that we also now have the ability, and I'm not sure why people are so scared of rules, but to apply some rules to control those behaviors. And secondly, contract language to protect things if it goes south. We've already done this in uh, cost per page that, you know, People were terrified in the early days of managed print, you know, even though the copy dealers had been doing cost per page for arguably, you know, 20 years before that, that people were going to print full bleed coverage. And guess what? They never did. Right. But the language was still on the contract to say if it did that we'd be protected. So if you have uh, the right data and you have the right clauses in your contract, then there shouldn't be any problem at all. Hello, uh, Edwin here from Amsterdam. Uh, but uh, I, I heard you several times talking about uh, data uh, in a way of um, uh, the, the service data, uh, assessment data, etc. How important is data um, uh, yeah, to, to start new billing models? And, and, and do you have three tips in, uh, uh, for the listeners and the resellers out there uh, what they uh, need to have in place on the data side to make the implementation of a new billing model successful? 
That's a great question, Edwin. Um, three tips. Let me think about that. So first, uh, obviously, accurate data is critical uh, to being profitable in this new billing model. So first, you need to collect accurate meter readings. I think meter readings are still needed, but we're just not billing for them. Uh, one of the facts that we see in our data is 17% of meter readings entered in the ERPs are wrong. So you need to make sure that those are accurate uh, and, and, and the, should be mo your most important thing that you need to do. Second, uh, you need to be selective on the devices that you quote. Um, use a device that is profitable in the volume band that you place them in. All models have a sweet spot where they perform the best in, so knowing, A, what those models are, what those volume bands that they placed in is also important for your profitability. And third, control your cost as it relates to service. Um, yeah, that, you know, service is your most expensive uh, piece in this. We consistently see uh, large variances in model serviceability from uh, anywhere from 200 to 300%, and, and let me ex explain what that means. Uh, if a dealer is working on the same ABC model, uh, their cost may be two or three or even 400 times higher than other dealers working on the same exact model. So it's understanding those difference of cost and how to correct those and control those costs is what's important. Um, so those are my three pieces. Well, great uh, tips, Bud. Um, I heard you talking um, in your first tip um, about the hassle of uh, collecting media readings. Um, uh, one of the advantages of device billing uh, models is yeah, that customer doesn't need to uh, uh, collect meter readings uh, manually anymore or semi-manually because a, a few uh, devices or maybe majority of devices goes automatically. Um, have you investigated uh, from your IDES model um, what the costs uh, per device are uh, on the customer side, but also on the reseller side in collecting those meter reads every quarter? Well, we still recommend collecting meter reads electronically or when the techs go out and service the machine, uh, but it's not a requirement as a customer to get them to us every month. And in some cases, you know, people would even call the customer and ask for the meter readings. Um, you know, you still need to do the checks and balances in this non-metered, well, I'll call it non-metered billing program. Uh, as far as cost savings, I'm sure there are some, but we're still in the infancy level of this program. So there's no studies that I'm aware of that have been done um, down to a device level, but I'm sure there are some savings. Yeah, and I would agree with Bud on that. And at the end of the day, um, the statistics are all pointing to people printing less. So, um, the, the meters initially, I think, will be important, but over time, I think that'll fade. Okay. Uh, and Wes, uh, you're really an expert uh, on the seat-based billing side. Um, what, what do you see as the three most important pitfalls uh, when uh, yeah, a reseller wants to, to launch such a new billing model? What, yeah. do, what, what, what he really needs to have in place to become successful with it? Well, I think, first of all, I think it's quite simple. The first one is you cannot go at this as an experiment. So if you're going to commit like uh, other dealers, I'm not going to mention names right now, but there's a handful of dealers out there which have done very well at this and it's because they've committed. Uh, so we can't do this as an experiment. If you're going to actually, you know, work towards this, do it. Um, the second is that if you're not getting all the information or price correctly, and that's just on the front end, and as uh, Ed Mosteller, who I worked with in the early years of doing this, just getting the right information made a huge difference. And we have so many more tools now, like the IDAS tool to make sure that we're doing that, right? So the tools exist, make sure that you investigate them and use them. Uh, the third thing is, uh, it, it's always compensation. So if the reps aren't getting paid accordingly to whatever these new initiatives are, then they're not going to sell them. So make sure that whatever compensation plans you put in place, are actually going to get the people uh, that are on the ground pushing this out to the marketplace that they get it and that they're getting paid. Well, I think that's great uh, information. Um, and my last question for you, West, is I don't think it's reality that one new billing model uh, will be the standard uh, for, for the future. So I think a combination of existing and new billing models will be, especially uh, also when you they want to add new services, solutions, and products in your portfolio uh, based on the IT side of uh, the infrastructure of the customer. Based on what I heard tonight is that the early adapters are mostly the ones 
who are already successful in the managed IT space. Yeah. Uh, so, so what comes first, uh, in your opinion? First, start with uh, services, solutions, and products around the managed IT uh, business side, uh, and and then start this program also for your yeah, print business, or start first with the new billing model and then expand your business with IT services. Well, m maybe I'm too ambitious, but I'd say why not do you know all of it, right? Why not have several ways to bill our customers, and and I'll start with managed print. So. Is, is cost per page a bad model? Um, I wouldn't say it is. There's still gonna be a long-term you know, business for cost per page. Uh, is seat-based billing for managed print bad? No, I, I wouldn't say that is either. Or device-based billing? No, that's not bad either. Um, but you know, the point is like, if we're selling cartridges, even as uh, you know, just our mainstay where customers are calling in and saying, I wanna buy a cartridge, is that bad? No, but the more options you have, uh, to satisfy your customer's buying habits, the better. Anyway, we can get that signature. The first time I experienced that was back in uh, my early career in the internet days. We were competing against uh, another internet provider who was billing in a different way and we were losing tons of deals. And you know, the, uh, the president of the company said, well, go out there and offer this other way of billing the customer. And if you, know, you win some deals, then we'll, we'll keep it. And we did. So I think that we need to be more flexible as providers because at the end of the day, if a customer wants to pay in a certain way, then, then let them. But certainly I think that the world is trending towards more subscription based models. I think it's trending towards more seat based or device based billing. And we've got to make sure that we have those options in our toolkit uh, to be able to satisfy those customers. You know, the genies out of the bottle, uh, if you look at Netflix and unlimited car washes and other things, there's no turning back. This is happening. We're here. Yeah, I would. I would also, you know, suggest that you don't do production print. You know, that must stay um, cost per page. There's just no way you can, you're going to uh, win that one. I don't think, unless you've got some really serious um, contractual type of print that says. Um, yeah, that's a really good ad. And w what I'm talking to is just office, you know, print, right? Right. That's a really good ad. So just, uh, we don't suggest trying to do anything in production print, obviously. Yeah, nor do I. <laughs> well, great. Well, the genie is out of the bottle. There's no turning back. I thought that was a great statement. Um, ladies and gentlemen, this has been an amazing discussion. I know that everyone on this call has enjoyed uh, the conversation. I wish we had more time so that we could cover more details, but unfortunately we're nearing the end of the episode. So I'd like to thank the team very much for your time to prepare this podcast and being in the studio with me today, especially Bud and West. Really appreciate your insights and your expertise. Thank you to our audience for taking time to listen to us. Please send us your feedback, questions, ideas to education at yourmpsa.org and visit the rest of our website for more wonderful, fabulous content. And if you know anyone who's not a member yet, send them our way. It definitely pays off being a member of the, of the MPSA. Thank you all and yeah. goodbye for now. And I'll just throw out my final plug, which is if you're not a member of the MPSA and you're in managed print, then you don't know what you're missing. And uh, Bud, a real pleasure to be on the podcast with you. Thank you, you too, Wes. We enjoyed it. So thank you everybody, enjoyed it. Thank you.